listening to the Wellington Hustle Interview Project, showcasing Wellington's entrepreneurs, sharing their experiences to inspire your entrepreneurial journey. Thank you for joining me. I'm Tim Morrison. It's June 2020, and welcome back to another episode of the Wellington Hustle Interview Project. Today, I'm talking with Digby Scott, the corporate rebel, an Australian adventurer, husband, father, and developer of leaders looking to bring change to the world. Originally a chartered accountant, Digby felt that the world had more to offer, turned to travel, headed to Canada, and spent a season working at a ski resort. He then followed this up by talking his way onto a commercial salmon boat with no experience. He finally settled back into the corporate world as a professional recruiter in London. This is when Digby found his passion, development of people, development of culture, development of organizations, getting the best out of people, helping them grow towards a new future. Now sit back and listen to this interview with Digby Scott. Digby Scott, welcome to the Wellington Hustle Interview Project. If you could uh, just sort of introduce yourself and uh, and what you're doing. Sure. Yeah. So I'm Digby Scott. Uh, I live here in Wellington, originally from Western Australia. Uh, so we're both expats yep. living, <laughs> living in a different city. I've uh, been here about 12 years. And... Uh, what am I doing? Wow, that's a big question. <laughs> you know, I'm a father, uh, husband, uh, adventurer. I guess professionally, uh, the work I do is all about developing change makers, people who want to make an outsized difference, people who reckon there's more capability to tap. And that's, uh, by the way, I hate that word capability. <laughs> it's like it's such an HR word. Uh, but there's this like, I, I just, uh, I'm all about growing people towards a, a, a new and different future and that shows up in all sorts of guises in what I do. Um, I love how I spend my time, I, I really do. I feel like life, as we were just saying before we started recording that you know um, I'm 52 now and I reckon it's taken me a good 52 years obviously to get to this point and just a continual refining of what I'm doing. Yeah, it's fun. It's great. What were you doing before jumping into the whole change makers? So I started my career as a chartered accountant uh, in Perth, um, which is a long way from what I do now. Uh, so I was with one of the big firms, Arthur Anderson, and where you know you wore a suit and tie every day, and I was an auditor. So it was the most interesting form of accountant you could get. <laughs> <laughs> but the best thing about that job was one is I learned about what it means to be professional. And uh, regardless of whether you're an accountant or a leadership practitioner or whatever. And secondly, it taught me about what I don't like. So I, I quite quickly realized in my three years there that I'm more of a people person than a numbers person. So, but what I loved was recruiting new graduates, training new graduates, and marketing what the firm services could do. So it was all of that kind of that human connection stuff. So then I traveled for a bit. I went to Canada, worked as a I worked in a ski resort for a while. I worked as a commercial salmon fisherman, uh, and that was just to test myself. I was kind of like going, hmm, what's the furthest thing I could do from being an auditor? I was 25, I think, at the time. It was funny to say, but I was just over living in built-up society. And I'd been reading a bit of Jack Kerouac's On the Road, and it's kind of all about getting out and finding yourself and stuff. And I thought, I just wanted to do something quite radical. 
It wasn't really something I'd ever entertain, but I thought, man, that will be a test that gets me away because I'm just going to be living on a boat. Hardest job I've still ever done in my life. You know, working 18 hours a day, living on board for two or three weeks at a time without coming in onto land. And all you're doing is catching and cleaning fish. I think the lesson for me there was if I can do this after being an auditor, I can pretty much do anything. And I sort of like, I, I sort it out too, you know, rather than a crisis happening and then me going, I need to rebuild myself. So like, no, no, I just need something different. What is that? Oh. And then I went to London yeah. and then I, I ended up going back into professional land as a recruiter. Worked for one of the big recruitment companies in the investment banking sector and the, you know, for the city of London. And that was good because it was more about people. Yeah. And it was also really transactional. As I was getting a little bit older, I was like, hmm, I'm actually less interested in the adrenaline of recruiting and the transaction of yeah, getting people into jobs. And I started noticing I was more interested in who is this person and what's driving them. Ended up coming to New Zealand in the 90s and became a national manager for a recruitment firm. First time I'd ever run an operation. I burned out in that role. There was a really, really tough time in my life. I was probably 27, I think, 28 maybe. Realised from there that actually I didn't have the support I needed. My boss was based in London, so I didn't have a lot of direct connection. Obviously, it's a 12-hour time difference. And uh, I didn't really have any idea what I was doing. I was kind of took the job because I was like, oh, national manager, that's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, status <laughs> and the money and the travel and all that. I was like, yeah. And burned out because I was just saying, yes, didn't really know how to manage my boundaries or um, even tap into, you know, play to my strengths. But also I noticed through that period, oh, look, I'm actually more interested in the longer-term development of cultures of people to help get the best out of people rather than just slam them into jobs. You know? So, And that was not quite 20 years ago. That's when I went, um, development of people, development of cultures, development of organisations, that's my thing, that's what I really want to do. And I'm still doing it. So once you worked all that out, what was your vision when you first started your venture? Oh, which wow. I guess was this Changemakers, what it was called? From no, no. Changemakers is like a, it's like my flagship program, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. But if we reel back to 20 years, my vision was actually all about, because I kind of come out of this career space where people are looking for jobs, my career, my, my vision was about helping people actually just align who they are to the work they do. And in many ways, it's still the same. And my idea was like, if I could offer career coaching and remembering this is back when coaching wasn't really a thing that organizations paid for or anything like that. This is like the late 90s. My vision was if more people could be playing to their strengths and be way more deliberate about what is the work that they want to do, our organizations would be better places, etc. That was the vision. And I sort of quickly went into... Actually, even more leverage is how could I develop leaders and managers to get have them be the ones who have been the catalyst for other people to um, make those sorts of decisions. Not just about careers, it's about showing up as their best people, the best human beings they can be. It felt like at the time there was only a few companies asking the same question. If we fast forward to now, I think it's, a, it's this idea of bring whole self to work develop the best in people while you know getting performance happening is it's a time that is really it's kind of like the zeitgeist i think is is there now so i'm hoping that that is the case <laughs> keep me busy for a while yeah um so who who do you consult with is that mainly uh companies that's your client is it? well being based in wellington my clients are 
a lot of public sector agencies, mm. government departments, as well as a number of private sector companies. I don't really do any work directly with individuals, okay, and, yeah. and that's just a choice. Mm. Um, you know, I have a lot of people, though, I guess I would say they're informally mentors, individuals, but all my work is with organisations. Primarily, I'm brought in to, if, if an organisation wants to shift culture or has got some sort of change initiative going on, I'm working with their handful of people that are going to be their change agents, yeah. the ones who are you know, going to make a disproportionate impact. Yeah, the ones that are going to carry it on through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's and, – and then also with the exec team around how, how do they support the, the change agents collectively and individually to uh, enable them to do the work they need to do to help to change their culture. Because I'm a big believer, you know, you can't just drive change from the top. And the book? The book Changemakers came about because I reckon a book, what a book is, it's a really easy way to spend very little money to get a lot of value mm -hmm. in your own time. Yep. You don't have to be anywhere, uh, be with anyone. You can get your book off your bookshelf. You can sit down in your beanbag or whatever and, and soak it up for, you know, 20, 30 bucks. That's a pretty good investment, right? Yep. And I thought, hmm. So I'm running these workshops and programs and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, a book is actually a great way just to help people without being there uh, and, and a really inexpensive way to do it. How did you deal with any early setbacks? It's a classic entrepreneur question, I think. I reckon the setbacks that I've experienced are probably less your classic setback and they're all, all, all more like mindset barriers that I put in place myself. So I'll give you an example. And... This is sort of when I was leaving Inspire Group and going out on my own, which is six, seven years ago. I reckon I stayed about two years too long and nothing against Inspire Group, really good. But there was, a, there was this period where I, I, thought I, I realized my mojo for that work that I was doing with them was sort of flatlining. I had all sorts of stories in my head about why it was not good to leave. And that was not good for me. So what happened from a profitability point of view and a revenue point of view, that started to flatline as well. I was less excited about going in. I was more, I was getting in my head all about, oh, this is what I want to do. I want to work for myself. And I think I can make more impact doing it that way and et cetera, et cetera. But then I wouldn't move to get out of there. Fortunately, I had a couple of good mentors and coaches who challenged me to go, you need to tell yourself a different story about this. Eventually it was like, okay, just go have a chat with the CEO. And uh, when I said, actually, it's time for me to leave, uh, it was actually relatively painless. It was like, mm, okay, let's talk about how we make that happen. You know, and we had, then we made a six-month timeline and managed it well. But, man, I could have done that like a couple of years earlier, yeah. right? And, and I wouldn't have burned the time. You could also say that, you know, well, you wouldn't be the person you are now unless you went through that and learned the lesson. Sure. The setback really was, in some ways, it was kind of like a year and a half, two years of my life that I potentially could have used way more productively. So the lesson there was, you know, if you're feeling like you're hesitating and you want to move to something, then you really want to examine that now. In fact, Tim Ferriss is you know, one of my favorite podcasters. Uh, in one of his TED Talks, he got this lovely um, process called Fear Setting which is uh, this idea of, you know, we have goal setting. We want to set goals. 
But unless you're addressing any fear that's uh, that's holding you back from moving towards that, you're more likely to stay stuck. And he has this lovely process of pulling apart, like what could be the worst possible case scenario if you, if you said you wanted to leave, for example. You know, when you kind of examine a fear like that, it sort of gets smaller. And he has these other questions. What could you do to prevent that from happening? Uh, if you acted, but you also had some preventative measures in place. And if it did turn to crap, what would you what could you do to repair it? And then there's this killer question, which is what's the cost of inaction? And I reckon that's a really, really important thing. I see so many people who are, you know, successful in many, many ways. And I had a conversation earlier this week with a chief executive of one of the government departments about this. I said, you know, there's many senior leaders around who I think are stuck. They're flatlined in their mojo for their work. They are asking themselves the question, what else? But anything else seems dangerous to shift away to. Uh, it might be losing money, losing some sort of credibility. A classic one, I think, is the whole, um, I'm an executive role, senior role, uh, and I just don't really want to be doing the hours anymore. I don't want to be driving as hard anymore. But what else is there that I could do? I could go consulting, oh, but I don't have a network and I don't know how to sell. Oh, I can't do that. Yeah. And so there's this sort of inaction that you just spin around. And and I think you circuit breaking that as soon as you possibly can is just fundamental. Because otherwise we're blocking other people from coming through. We're, we're stopping you know, innovation from happening. And we're just like, our, our lives get you know, crapper. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's just like, again, you know, how many years have you got left on the planet? One of the best things I ever did was re read Tim Urban's blog, waitbutwhy.com, and he talks about, he just draws little squares and each square is a year of your life. And, you know, even if we live to 100, that's only a 10 by 10 grid, right? And then if you just map out and you color in how many squares you've already used, then you go, huh, that's a really good wake-up call. And I want to be a catalyst for more deliberate choice, not just for the individuals, but I just think for society, for people to be way more on purpose about how they choose to contribute, use whatever they've got to, to make a difference, but also to make a life. What were you doing that was helping you get your mindset? Oh, what a great question. Yeah. So uh, what, what, what helped me back at that Inspire yeah. juncture? Yeah. Uh, like I said, a couple of great mentors. Mm. One that I formally engaged, uh, more like a coach. So she asked me hard questions. And another person who just had the occasional wine and she just prod me. <laughs> what are you doing? Come on, this is this is the future that's waiting. Just gently but firmly, just holding me my feet to the fire. So that was really, really important. I did a bit of testing with some clients that I'd been working with about, you know, if I was to work with you in a different way on my own account and people I could trust, talk to about this. Yeah. What do you reckon? Would, would there be something I could help you with sort of stuff? And and that validation quite quickly coming back. It's like, well, okay, yep. So there's there's a need there. So building that self-belief that I could make a shift was really important. So having some nudges, but also some people pulling me forward as well. And you can see that both of those are about people, right? It's, it's, it's like I could have read all the books in the world. I don't think it would have made a difference. Uh, it was really about the human connection of people that are like, yeah, we believe in you. So you're going to believe in yourself? Get on with it. <laughs> in fact, when I started Changemakers, which is about two and a half, three years ago, uh, there were a few people saying, yeah, I've been waiting for about a year for you to do this. 
I <laughs> 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 come on, I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. So I imagine that the mindset thing is that that's a big is that a big part of like your curriculum. It totally. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. It's yeah, absolutely. I'm a huge believer that there's a couple of key things that shape our behavior. So, you know, there's that um, quote from Gandhi that, uh, you know, our beliefs become our thoughts, our thoughts become our words, and our words become our deeds, and our deeds become our habits, and our habits become our destiny. You think about that, then behaviors are kind of in the middle of that chain. And what is before is language, and what is before that is kind of our thinking yeah, and, our, and our beliefs. And so the more we can kind of understand the wiring that's in our heads around that stuff, the more we have choice around our behaviours. So I'm a huge believer in the power of like what's going on in our heads and be able to test the assumptions that are living there because you know, we tell ourselves all these stories about what's okay, what's safe, what's not. They're just stories. They're all invented, right? Yeah, exactly. The inner critic is a bit of a dick sometimes. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm also mindful that mindset is what's in here, but the other thing that shapes our behavior, I reckon, is environment. You Especially know, feedback you get from others. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, that, that saying, you know, you're the average of the five people you hang around with the most. Right? So who do you choose to hang out with? Uh, that's the environment which you're in, the built environment. You know, and you know, all that research around the power of getting into nature, uh, the more you can deliberately be in an environment that serves you, the better you're going to be. And and to me, living where we live uh, in Wellington, uh, where nature's in your face, access to nature's right there. Right? So it's the physical environment, the human environment, and the working environment you're in. Now that has a massive impact on how you show up in terms of how, how your energy is. It's a huge part of uh, how you show up every day and perform. Do you have a, uh, a trick that helps you sort of show up to perform if you're feeling a bit off? If I can, if I'm feeling a bit, I'll say, I don't know, I'm running a workshop or yeah. doing a keynote or something. I'll go for a walk in nature, beach or whatever it might be. Can't do that. Music. I've got a bunch of different Spotify playlists and, you know, I've got one called Upbeat. Yeah. You know, I've got one called Kickback. You know, I've got one called Groove. And, you know, it's just, okay, what do I need right now? And I'll just go to that playlist. I've got one called Heavier, which is like the headbanging one. So yeah. I'll, I'll do that often. I'll drive home. <laughs> have a good day. I'll be like, let's put Heavier on. And like, you know, I don't know what people in the other cars are thinking, but like, I'm just banging away. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's good for mood shifts, uh, for state shifts. You know, I have a, a handful of people that are just gold. So you've interviewed Gillian Brooks on your podcast. To me, she, I had dinner with her last night and, you know, it's, we just lift each other up and it's just awesome. Yeah, it's one of the five people sort of thing. You know? yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. So reaching out to those people. Actually, what I do have is a, a cool people list. I never <laughs> share who's on it. I never share who's on it and it changes all the time. But what I try to do is I have 13 people on it at any one time. So it's not like a an exhaustive list. I like uh, there's 13. Yeah, I'm well. you number 13. Oh, uh, yeah, you're number 13. <laughs> no, no, the idea being that there's 13 weeks in a quarter. Yeah. Right? Over a quarter, I'll put a note in my calendar for a Friday to call so-and-so. Next week could be someone different. That is just so I'm reaching out to cool people who we lift each other up. And if I can't get hold of them, I'll just leave them a voice message. Say, hey, thinking of you, just wanted to connect, see you going, nothing in particular. Yeah, and send the message. Yeah. You know, when we see each other, and it might not be for a quarter or two, 
we at least had that connection. Yeah, and yeah. and that's a yeah, and I, I'm really deliberate about that. It's a it's quite a it's quite a cool little thing. Was there a time that you wanted to give up? Not really a time. I I tell you why. When I had that burnout I referred to earlier on, and it was in the mid to late nineties, that was like my midlife crisis came early, and it was a soul destroying time. You know, I wasn't suicidal, but I was really in a low, low point. You the way through it is actually, I think, to really dig deep into what am I about? What do I want out of life? And I did a lot of that work in my late 20s and early 30s. And if I'm honest, it probably took me three, four, maybe even five years to, to fully come out of that, that dark part of my life. But what it did, all that work, it sort of set the mould for what I'm still doing today. So at a really deep level, I, I created a bit of a, a, a strong sense of conviction of the work I want to do that I'm still doing. And so it's like, kind of like the wheel started moving, big, heavy wheel, and then it gets its own momentum. So whenever I've come across obstacles or challenges, I've got this deep conviction that goes, well, let's just find a way around it. Let's find a way through this. Sometimes there's some blind alleys. But nothing like, oh, I've gone out in this venture and this is the wrong venture. So, no, no, I did all that kind of, no, no, this is the work for the rest of my life sort of thing, right? And it evolves and it changes and it grows and, you know, it slightly changes in what I'm offering stuff. But the core idea is still there. So, no, there's not really a time that I've ever wanted to give up. It's more, hmm, this is getting a little bit flatlined. What's the next version? Yeah. <laughs> you know, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Were there any traps that you fell into? I think I get seduced sometimes, probably less than I used to, into being wooed into work that looks sexy on the surface. And then it's like, yeah, I said yes out of fear of maybe not letting them, not wanting to upset them or let them down or something like that. And I think I've got way better at that. I don't, don't do that much these days at all, if any. But I think, you know, there's when ego gets in the way, I've, my burnout, I reckon, back in the day was primarily driven by ego it's like where i've gone and held on to things for a bit too long maybe just like the inspire group thing or uh just doing work for other people that felt like it the shelf life had sort of expired on it I, I reckon overthinking yeah uh is a is a big trap like like the book right yeah uh, so the change makers book i i had the idea for writing it probably three years before i got it out <laughs> rather than now the next book you know i've got the idea six months will be a book right and that it'll be uh, don't overthink it don't don't overanalyze stuff just try stuff right and so the trap of not experimenting not trying stuff out and getting moving uh is probably the biggest one for me yeah i'll still hold back sometimes with human beings we do this stuff but the more I lean into it, the more I just try something new and give it a go. And, and actually also have someone hold me accountable. Yes. It's good. Yeah. 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 Especially if there's loads of people know about that next book that's Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like, oh, now, it's, now it's public, right? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't mentioned- Two more, two more. Well, that's right. Well, I haven't mentioned how long it's going to no, be. No, that's right. Or, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a three-page book. <laughs> what inspires and motivates you? One of the things I do every year, and I've done this for almost every single year for the last 20 years, is I go to a place in northwest of Western Australia. Uh, it's about 1,200 kilometres from Perth, north. It's on the edge of the, the ocean. 
It's rugged. It's 150 k's from the closest town. And we camp there, a bunch of mates, for two weeks, and we windsurf and we surf our hearts out, middle of nowhere, world-class waves, coral reef, sea life abundant, stars abundant, and no cell phone coverage. I reckon I keep going back because of the inspiration I get. And it's really hard to put into words. If something catastrophic happened in the world, we probably wouldn't know about it. And there's something quite cool about that and simplicity of life that I think, you know, if we like camping or you know, that whenever we get stripped back stuff, there's something else that emerges. And that happens for me every time. And that's why I go back. It's really about the, you know, just the time away from everything that seems more complex. Right? And so uh, to slow down, to never wear a watch and just be in sync with something bigger than you, you know, I'm, I'm not particularly religious. It's, but there's definitely a connection that's going on out there. What also inspires me is the stories of effort to be more authentic and the stripping back of a facade of someone. And I'll give you an example. A few years ago, I used to coach a, a lady who was, when I first met her, she was the head of one of Australia's largest mine sites. And she was really gruff, wearing the mine clobber, you know, the steel cap boots and the King G overalls and whatever, and serious face and really strong handshake. And as I got to know, over the course of a year or so, there was this letting go of the facade and a moving towards more of the person and the work that she was really about, sustainability in its most holistic sense, a person ahead of her time around, you know, how do we be a, an amazingly good corporate citizen when we're a minor, you know? But that, that struggle to let go of the facade of being the person who's fitting in as a female in a man's world on a mind side to go, actually, my, who I am and what I want to contribute is, is quite different. It requires me to be me as opposed to this expected version of me. Yeah. That inspires me. And this, this, that story still inspires me so many years later. Can you describe a breakthrough that you're particularly proud of? I, I frame the breakthrough as stepping out from behind myself which is the authenticity piece again. A lady called Susan Scott wrote a, a lovely book called Fierce Conversations. And she says, you know, step out from behind yourself and let's see who the real you is in the conversation or something like that. And I reckon a, a pretty recent breakthrough was actually launching the Changemakers program. I look back at it now and go, wow, yeah, this real thing, it's out in the world and people seem to get massive value from it. But at the time, I was absolutely terrified to launch it. I'm asking them to pay all this money and what if they don't like it? The breakthrough was saying, do it anyway. And I did it. So the breakthrough was the mental breakthrough of just back yourself, buddy, yeah, and give it a go. I think I'd been hiding behind you know, delivering other people's programs and um, kind of in existing structures for probably way too long. Like I was delivering my own stuff, but it was pretty safe. And this was pretty different, quite ballsy, I yep. suppose. And I had to go and draw a line in the sand and say, this is what I stand for. And this is what I'm offering. And you need to give me some money and it's going to be good, right? And that was quite scary, very scary for me. So the breakthrough was actually just pushing through that fear and going for it. And now I look at it and it's like, I just love this. And it's like my favorite work. In part, I think it's because of I had to grow up 
to do it. Does it make sense? Yeah. What do you see as being your biggest lesson? If I was to put that to you, what would you say, reckon the biggest lesson is? What have you heard? Oh, about your biggest lesson? Yeah. Mm. Um, probably getting over yourself. I think yeah. that mental sort of, or breaking through your mental barriers, I suppose. Trusting yeah. in yourself. Mm. Yeah. It's the Marianne Williamson quote around, you know, who are you to play small? Yeah. You know, it's about moving away from the story of not good enough, about people will judge you, some people will judge you, so what? Into, you know, decide who you are, what you stand for, what impact you want to have. And that doesn't have to be, you know, world changing, it can be changing another, something beyond you though, right? It might be one other person, what's the impact you want to have? And then just work towards that, right? Realize that most fears and most rules are invented, well, all fears are invented and most rules are invented. So if you hold that frame, I think you can travel through the world way more lightly and have a lot more fun. I used to be very driven by the need for approval. Yesterday I was working with a group for the first time, about 35, 40 leaders in an organisation. Didn't know most of them, you know, a handful of them. Ran a half-day workshop with them. I, at the end of it, I was thinking, I got some good feedback. I was going, I reckon there's a few people who didn't really land with yep. then. Yep. And as I, was, I sat down with my wife, on the couch last night, I was just reflecting on the day. We talked about, uh, I kind of then went, so how am I about the stuff that might not have landed? Well, then I realized, well, firstly, it might have landed. I just don't know. Secondly, maybe it didn't land yet. And there's a seed that's planted that will grow. And then thirdly, well, if it didn't land, hey, it's that's life, yeah. right? And I can't be all things to all people. And I'll do the best I can with what I have. It just helped me kind of not, not carry any stuff that yeah. I didn't need to carry, right? Yeah. And I think that's important. If you're not putting out what you're about and what you stand for, what you believe is useful and helpful for other people, then no one's better off. Yeah. So you've got to do it. But also there's no guarantee that everyone's going to love it. Has your vision always been clear and how has it evolved? Vision comes and goes for me. I remember years ago, my wife asked me when we were living in Perth, you know, what's your vision for your work? And I couldn't answer it. And I was terrified. It was horrible. It would have been maybe 20 odd years ago. And then sometimes it's absolutely crystal clear and other times it's just a feeling. And I'm not, I try not to think too much about it now. It's, it's more like live every day to, based on your values and based on the work that you do. And, yeah. and every now and then sit down and go, hmm, so where's all this going? I think when the vision is unclear, it's because of, just haven't managed my energy well. Um, you know, I've been working way too hard or I've been um, not looking after myself, trying to do too many things at once, whatever it might be, and I just lose sight of stuff. Slowing down is trying not to think and just to be and see what bubbles up and then having people ask you good questions. Yeah, so I haven't really answered the question. It's more like, well, it's my process there. But yeah, yeah definitely. And I don't think people need to beat themselves up if they don't have a clear vision. It's more like, mm, what's your process for allowing it to emerge as an author, Parker J. Palmer, and he wrote a book called Let Your Life Speak. And he says, you know, actually, it's not really about seeking out your purpose and kind of going and looking for it. It's more actually stopping and listening to what your life is telling you. About what, what's it all about for you? Like how are you spending your time and where are you most lit up and reflecting on that? That tells you what your vision and purpose can be about. What would you do differently if you started again from scratch? Nothing. I'll tell you why. 
because of what I said earlier on, you know, the, the person I am today is only because of the things I've tried and the lessons I've learned and the decisions I've made. So I would not change a thing. I'm saying that from a position that life is pretty fine, you know, nothing's broken. I'm enjoying the work I do, enjoy who I do it with, and I enjoy the way I do it. Yeah, so if life was crappier, I wonder what if my answer would be the same, or would I have the wisdom to go, no, no, this is part of other places you'll go. Yeah. <laughs> this is the slump, maybe, yeah. right? And yeah. it's like, so don't change a thing because this is kind of just part of your life. So navigate it, mate. Similar questions like, what advice would you give your 20 year old self, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think I'd probably just say, keep going. You know, it'd be something as simple as that. You know, just keep moving, keep exploring because that's how you learn and that's how you become you. For anyone who wants to learn more about you and change makers, where would you like? them to go oh so the easiest place is digbyscott.com yep. this is my my website uh, and you can connect with me uh, on linkedin uh, is where i spend a lot of time there's not many digby scots around so it's pretty easy to find me so that's probably brings us to the end of the uh, the whole interview i just want to say thanks again for taking the time to sit down and share yourself with me i suppose yeah yeah it's been a pleasure hey there digby Thanks again so much for sharing your story with the Wellington Hustle community. I love the fact that you pushed out of your comfort zone to go commercial salmon fishing. I guess after doing a job like that, you really get to appreciate a nice, warm, dry, fish out of free conference room when you're running your workshops now. For you, the listener, what have you taken away from Digby's interview? I'd really love to know. Please share in the comments on Digby's post at the Wellington Hustle website. I'll also be adding links there for all the resources mentioned in the interview. You'll also find Digby's contact details if you want to reach out to continue the conversation. Just head over to the website, wellingtonhustle.co, and you will find Digby there. If you're enjoying these interviews, then please spread the word, share with your friends, or leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This will really help the Wellington Hustle interview project be found by others. We need to get it out there. More people in Wellington need to be listening to these interviews. If you're interested in being interviewed for the project or you have somebody in mind that would be a great fit, then please, please, please send me an email on tim at timson.co or head to the Timson Co. website, click on the Wellington Hustle link from the menu and choose Join Wellington Hustle from the drop down. Thanks so much again for listening and until next time, keep on hustling.